Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. As you guys know, anytime I have somebody on, they're either a game changer or thought leader. And this gentleman is both. I consider him a great friend, a mentor. He's an amazing individual. But first, I want to thank our sponsors, Maxwell Soaps. Um, They are soaps that are actually handmade, no detergents. And the best thing about them, whenever they sell a bar, they actually give a bar to help the homeless in Los Angeles, California. So it's 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 soap with a mission. So check them out at Maxwell Soaps. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode. But if you're an entrepreneur or business owner, you're definitely going to want to hear this because this gentleman is has one of the best books that I've ever read. One of the top podcasts. He's been featured everywhere. He's been on stages and screens with some of the top people in the world. I'm not going to mention them names. He will. But thank you, Nicholas, for hopping on today, brother. How are you? Dude, I'm doing great. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity here. I'm sure we'll get into it with our time. Yeah, I was 60 pounds overweight just a few years ago. And at the time, there was no Facebook ad, no anchor, no person who was putting information out there in front of me that could help me transform. I thought it was impossible. And it wasn't until someone reached out, something very simple, that everything transformed. And so I want to thank you, man, for creating a space, an opportunity where people can tune in and literally have their transformation here, which was not available to me when I wanted to lose weight. So it shows that you're changing lives. And for the people listening, my whole life changed in just one moment. Well, and if we can change all, in one moment, man, like that that's what we're here to do today. I want to thank your wife because she's the one that set us up. So I just wanted to give her big props and a big shout out for doing for doing what she does. So tell us, you know, because you know, I've been in your group since I guess from almost a day with you started it. Um, but a lot of people want to know, they want to know the man behind the microphone. So please tell us a little bit about you, where you grew up and what kind of little boy Nicholas was. <laughs> That's a great question. And I'll actually preface it by saying this, Nick was the little boy. So now you know me as Nicholas, Nick, we'll call him Nick as the little boy. So I grew up in Santee, which is in San Diego, a suburb just east of La Jolla. I grew up, my dad was uh, maybe in his late thirties when I was born and my mom and he always wanted a son. And so he was super pumped. It happened really easy for me. He's like, they were like, Hey, we're going to have a son. And then they had me and I didn't know at the time that they actually weren't even married. I thought they were married until at four years old, they broke up. So for me, zero to two, from what I've heard, since I don't have any memory, zero to almost two, I do have a memory of being two. I was in daycare. My mom was trying to go to school, trying to go back and get her like associate's degree at a community college. My dad ran a business. He owns the same carpet cleaning business here today as well. So zero to two, that was my life. And at two years old, I actually got pushed on a bike and I learned a great lesson from my father, many lessons from my father that I learned the most of any person probably, especially in my early years. He got me a bicycle and he didn't put any training wheels on it. He just thought, what's the point of putting something on a bike that isn't ever going to help him, but it's just going to keep him from falling, right? Training wheels literally just keep you from falling over, but they actually inhibit you from learning how to balance. So he took maybe some of the risk back and put it on the bicycle and on myself. Yeah, also taught me a lesson. He pushed me on the bike and I started riding a bicycle. And at the age of two, I became the youngest person in the world to start racing bicycles on a track at two years old. So it was a lesson I learned from my dad early, yet being always away from my parents, which is a big deal with my son now, he's 15 months. At four years old, I was in preschool. Massive anxiety already, very hard hard with transitions going from, I remember going to lunch. It was like I would cry. I'd freak out just going from the playground to lunch. The transitions freaked me out. I was always in transition. My parents broke up right around that time. I didn't know until second grade that they didn't get divorced. They actually just broke up. I, I thought, my parents are married. I asked them. They're like, oh, we were never married. So uh, I say divorced, but really they were not. And it was right around the time that I started struggling more with this like fears and stress and pressure from a young age because I had a mom who lived in a two-bedroom apartment, worked full-time, never took any government help, and then a father that lived 10 minutes away with a stepmom that just had moved into the house 
trying to be told that it's okay to call my stepmom mom when my mom's 10 minutes away and they both hate each other. And the only reason they're talking is because I'm the glue that's holding them together. And that pressure of my father being the disciplinary, which is general, popular, normal, disciplinary, and my mother being the comforter, normal, commonly accepted. They were on two different pages, not in the same household not working with each other, but working against each other. My dad would be the disciplinary. My mom would agree that he was being a jerk and she would be the comforter that would then kind of like, I'd turn against my dad a little bit. I'd be with my dad and naturally he didn't really like my mom. And so when I'm with my dad, I really didn't like my mom. So I'd go and hang out with these people that I just heard were terrible. And now I'm thinking they're terrible as well because I'm a gullible little kid. This led me to seven years old. I wrote my first suicide letter. I talk about in my book, Modern Day Businessman. You mentioned. I love it, by the way. One of my favorite books of all time. And I've read over 5,000. And yours is probably in the top five. Can I get like a clip of that? Because that was, (laughs) no, I appreciate that. Maybe I can take this off anchor or something like that. Yeah. Right around that time at seven years old, I wrote my first suicide letter. And for the people that are thinking after an endorsement like that, that my book's amazing, uh, you can grab it on all the platforms, but there's two ways you get it for free. I actually built a digital version. If you actually read it, nicholasbailey.com slash ebook, that's hundred percent free. I just need to be able to email it to you. The second one is if they join the billion dollar brotherhood Facebook group, if they're a man and there's five videos, you watch them. I pay for shipping. I pay for the book. I've given away thousands of books now which cost me more than thousands of dollars, right? But again, for me, it's an investment in everyone else because I didn't have that. I didn't have the person that was there to give me the information. So thank you for that. Seven years old suicide letter. I just felt like, man, what's the point of living if I'm the glue that's creating all these problems? But throughout that time, my dad, he always wanted to be a motocross racer. This was his dream that his dad never supported. Now, what I found is oftentimes when I look at maybe the baby boomer generation, which is very much so lump. So I apologize in advance. And I'm not a baby boomer. I'm still in my 20s right now. I'm late 20s. My wife's 27. My son's 15 months. Uh, my father's in his late 50s. Father-in-law, late 50s. And my mother-in-law, 50s. My mom, 50s. So what I've seen from all the research that I've done is that typically it's one of two ways. They either did the same things that their parents did and hated it, or they try to do the exact opposite of their parents. It's like very much so influenced. So for my father, there were some characteristics that he took st- straight from his father, like the anger and aggression and, and all these things, not lack of control being expressed in anger. And the other things that he took from his father that was the exact opposite, which were usually the things that he desired. So my dad always wanted a motorcycle, nine years old, picked up a paper route, classic story, picked up the paper route, bought his own motorcycle, bought another one at 12 always had to provide for himself. Dad never supported it. Dad never went to the races. The one race his dad went to, he crashed and broke his collarbone and his dad wasn't impressed. He was so sad to let him down. The only thing he ever got was a tire for his dad from his dad for Christmas. So all of a sudden I'm racing bikes at two, four years old, get my first motorcycle for Christmas because my dad's like, well, he's a prodigy. Like we need to get him on a motorcycle. I don't even know it's real. I walk out there Christmas day and I'm like, what's that? Right. I've like seen big motorcycles, but never seen a small one. My dad starts it up. So excited, throws me on it. I mean, I pin it. I'm talking as fast as this thing can go. Didn't even get shown where the brakes were. I went maybe 20 miles an hour across the street, smacked into the curb Indo. That was my first experience on a motorcycle. Never got shown where the freaking brakes were. I just pinned that thing into oblivion and I got back on. And so year after year, my dad consistently invested in us having that thing of going out racing motocross. And it was amazing. But one of the hard things that came from that was that ultimately my dad had been dreaming. Think about this nine years old, wishing that someone would buy him a bike, dreaming of a father that would be that supportive. Me, I didn't even know what a motorcycle was. I just got one and I started riding them. And then all of a sudden I would get a new bike and I, oh my gosh, thank you so much. How amazing is this? And I was never reacting the way that my father would have reacted if he was in my shoes, but not realizing that those are his dreams, his desires, and they've been cooped up for freaking 20, 30 years of desire. Cause whatever we think about, we build desire for, and he's been desiring this for so long. He's like, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine what it would be like if someone did this for me. And then I don't act the same way that he would, which would never happen anyway. And that caused a lot of strife. 
throughout this time, again, I was super anxious, having a lot of issues. I mean, I went, I had diarrhea every day in third grade. Uh, my teachers would come and knock on the bathroom doors, causing me more anxiety to the point where I literally only felt peace when I would count the screws on the inside of the bathroom. All the screws on the wall was the only time I get my mind off these things. My parent, my teachers and things are thinking I'm being abused in the home. No, I'm just like, my brother's running away. I got a brother who's got a different dad, same mom. I got a sister that's got a same dad, different mom. I got my dad and my mom that are completely split up with a stepmom. I got a step grandma, grandpa. I got 50 freaking siblings that I can't even see on the same holiday because they all hang out at different homes. Brothers running away every single weekend. And just feeling like inside of all of this, I have no clue what I'm feeling. I didn't know I had anxiety. I didn't know I had stress. I didn't know I had problems. I was just like, I got diarrhea. I don't know what the issue is. Stop asking me all these questions. And finally, it got to this point where I thought, my, I've been living for my dad's approval. And even though my dad's hard, like that's all that I wanted. I mean, I would crash motorcycles, hurt myself, pushing myself to the limit. I'd sit there in the desert for hours jumping my motorcycle higher and higher and further and further, waiting for my dad to stand up and be impressed, waiting for him to say, we're going to buy you that new motorcycle. We're going to go to that next level together. So but now let me ask you, was motorcycle your passion? Or it became was it for sure. Yet? It became for sure. Even though I felt massive with all the problems I had with stress and anxiety and all these different fears, some days I'd be fearless. I would crush it. Other days I'd be paralyzed by what was going on in the home and what was going on in my personal life. And realize this, perception is reality. My parents and maybe my brother and my sister may have a totally different version of this story, right? Like they may have a completely different version of the story that I'm not telling here because they looked at it from a different lens. They were maybe older or younger. My parents would have a different story because they didn't mean it that way. Yet when we're growing up, our perception whether it be right or wrong, is still our reality. So for me, though I was going through these things, maybe some of them weren't that bad. Maybe some of them were a lot worse than I thought. I just didn't know. But my perception of what was going on was my reality and what was changing my physiology. And so I brought that upon myself and really had a desire to be the best motocross racer in the world. That's what I wanted. And though it was scary and a lot of pressure and my dad would put a lot of pressure on me and other people would put pressure on me and ultimately I'd put pressure on me I want to be the, the best motocross racer in the world. And when Ricky Bobby with Talladega Knights came out and he says, whether you're, you're not first, you're last, you're not first, you're last. I just kind of looked at everyone and was like, yeah, of course. Like, what's the, what's the deal? If you're not first, you're last. Yeah, that makes sense. Second's the first loser. And why would you ever strive to be anything less than first? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I really didn't ever want to be second in anything. And I always thought that I could be number one, but at the same time, I had a conflicting belief that I knew I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't going to be able to do it. But I placed that conflicting belief on everyone else, and I thought everyone was against me. I thought everyone else doesn't believe in me. I believe in me. The truth is that a lot of people have actually seen greater things in me than I've seen. I've usually been the one that hasn't believed in me. That's a different story that came about 15 years later uh, that I did not recognize. So, How far um, did you get in motocross? So I started, I kept racing until around 13 when I had that falling out with my father. I um, mean, I told my dad, I want to be the best motocross racer in the world. And he looked at me, said, you'll never be the best. And it was just that last little straw that broke the camel's back, right? There's so much weight, boom, snapped it. Didn't really talk to my father for three and a half years. And what people don't know is that at 20, after I got married, I watched a supercross race and I thought I could do this. And I went into debt. I borrowed money from my mentor, Yost Jansen, former Navy SEAL, and or retired Navy SEAL, I guess you could say. And I bought a motorcycle, and I started training, riding four days a week, training CrossFit every single day. And I rode for nine months straight to get to the point where I realized I could build a business to make money, and all these guys are willing to die just to get first place because they have no other way to do anything with their life. I felt like I had entered a stage where I was like, I'm good, but I'm a husband. I want to be a father. I want to build a business. And I know that this is just not the only route to get there. And so I remember selling my bike and it, and it was really not, I've accomplished this. So I need to move on. It was, I'm in debt. I'm not taking care of my responsibilities as a, as a husband. And the reality hit me. And I said, what am I doing? 
nine months I've been trying to race. Why? I, I'm good. I'm a great racer. You know, I got to, I was riding tracks with the top pros in the world. Yeah. What, what for? Okay, so I, so I want to bring it back to that. Cause I, you know, n- not to say, you know, because I believe that, you know, America is the greatest country in the world. And you woke up that one day and said, you know, I want to be a top, top racer. And you did like, I just interviewed a guy last week. His name is Jesse Iwuji. He's actually um, a Navy officer, but he's at n- racing NASCAR today because he just woke up one day and decided, Hey, I want to do this. And if I work hard enough, I can hit my goals. So I just wanted to say that that's amazing that you just said one day, all right, I want to get back into it. And then you finally did it. And then you walked away because there's other things that are, you know, better in life for you. But it was just amazing that, you know, both you and Jesse said, all right, this is America. I can do what I want if I believe in myself and I work hard enough. So I just want you know, to. I've been able to do that over and over again with the freedom that America brings. Like realize that I pursued that until I realized, okay, I'm good now. And I did this many times, but I, in the motocross story, I was able to go back and get a bike, had the tracks, race motocross, even did a race. I, I placed second. And ultimately I was like, I, this is great. I don't really want to do the things that it takes to go to the next level in this. And it was just with that thing. There's other things in life that uh, one of my bucket list things is I want to be a professional athlete in something at some point in my life. And I'll do it because of the fact that I, we had the freedom to be able to do that. I'm not walking 20 miles to get water and I'm not hunting for months out of the year to be able to just provide food. We have those things readily available that gives us the ability to dream and do other things. So uh, okay, then I just have a question because, you know, I know when you were doing CrossFit, you were probably in one of the best shapes of your life. 100%. So how do you go from that to being 60 pounds overweight? So I was overweight before the CrossFit. So overweight was when me and my dad had the falling out. Okay. Uh, I just gave up on everything in life. I went to school, pretty much flunked 1.8 GPA, nothing to live for, no vision. Quote that says, without vision, a man perishes. Yep. <laughs> I had nothing. So I ultimately just ate mini corn dogs and, and Del Taco, Taco Bell, Jack in the Box, and sat there and played video games and wasted away my life. And ultimately, it wasn't until one kid brought fruit to school in my senior year. And I was like, why? Why would you do that? Because if you have a choice, like, why are you choosing to eat something good? doesn't really make any sense. And I, at this point, I really didn't know how to change my situation. I thought maybe just starve yourself. Don't eat. That was the examples that I had. That's what my mom did. So this guy goes, well, I have a trainer. And he put me on a meal plan so I can perform at the and, and ultimately enter in at the white, right weight class. And I was like, huh, interesting. I literally never talked to that kid again, never gave him credit. I went home and I said, see these fruits? I want all of them. And I just went on the spree, started eating a half a cup of cereal instead of three cups. I stopped eating the donuts. I stopped eating five mini corn dogs and three potato skins. I ate one mini corn dog and a half a potato skin. I'm talking, I didn't even have good materials. I started eating some salads after I came home from uh, school. I didn't even know how to eat a salad. So I just didn't even allow myself dressings. I allowed myself three croutons. I mean, I starved myself and that helped birth my first business because I lost all the weight. I was totally out of shape still. I was emaciated. I was lower body fat, but I had no muscle mass. And I did it the hard way. I starved myself all the way to oblivion. And when I found out the way that I could do that easier, I thought, what a great business. I'm going to go back to Nicholas when he was failing at losing weight. And I'm going to show him there's a cool, great way you could do this and get strong. And it didn't come until after I hired mentors in that area. And for a year, I worked out with this guy that was shredded a whole year, six days a week. We worked out together. We ate together. We cooked meals together. And I really learned the art and the science of being able to eat meat and potatoes and work out a certain way and maintain a certain body mass. And I'm like, dude, what the heck is up? Why aren't people doing this? Uh, But most of the people communicating that message, they hadn't been 60 pounds overweight. They hadn't been through the emotional struggles. Of course, eat good foods, eat paleo, eat good meats, eat lean meats, eat uh, good carbs, eat good fats. It's like, yes, I totally understand that. But do you know what it's like to feel like none of that even matters? Do you know what that feels like to feel like 
you fail every single time? Do you know what it feels like to have overwhelming cravings for other foods that you starve yourself and then you binge eat and then you feel bad about it and then you binge eat and you think you'll start tomorrow and you're not seeing any results and you lose hope because you think you're different? Like Those are things that you go through when you're 60 pounds overweight and you go through the struggle. Most of these fitness people out there, they hadn't been through the same struggles. They were just skinny and they decided to eat a lot of food and get fit. So I was able to communicate to people that other people couldn't. And I was in the health and fitness industry for 30 years, over 30 years. And it's amazing how I would tell people, you know, a lot of times, 80% of the time, it's not what you're eating, but it's what's eating you. And a lot of times, you know, people that are, are depressed, they stress eat. You know, your cortisol level goes up when you're stressed out. So your body holds on to that, that body fat. So um, tell us about your first business and how you started helping other people. Because a lot of times we get more out of helping other people than sometimes we help helping that person, you know? A hundred percent. So now we're working with businessmen, specifically men that own businesses, and we're creating brotherhood to help them prosper in the three core areas that men can't, can't outsource. And I'll get into that here in a second. Yet at first, I didn't know exactly what business to build. I started going through these different things. Like I got married when I was 20. My wife was 18 and we thought, well, what are we going to do? Nicholas doesn't have a job. He won't work for anyone strictly just because they didn't do high enough quality. I mean, did we go down any rabbit trail? I, I wanted to be the uh, number one motocross racer. And then I picked up coffee and I wanted to be the number one barista in the world. I started working with the fifth best barista in all of Australia. I bought $4,000 worth of espresso equipment. I'd buy 10 pounds of coffee a week just to practice my craft. I then went into golf. I wanted to be a professional golfer. I went back to motocross and man, I've done this over and over again. And inside of that though, I get married and I'm like, all right, I invest in all this espresso equipment. I'm slinging coffees at garage sales and it's not making any money. I'm like, what else can we do? And it was interesting. I got sent a video for network marketing and I'm 20. I had no clue what network marketing was. I took it hook, line, and sinker. I took the bait. It was like video, $500 package. I bought this package so quick because I saw like, this is a way to make money. This is a way to do it. I get it. It makes sense that I even bought from the wrong person, right? I didn't even buy from my family member. They were like, you bought from that link I sent you? I sent you someone else's link. I thought you would at least like talk to me first. Now I bought that $500 package. They had to call the company. And that was the first company that I got introduced to is network marketing. And ultimately what I saw from that was that the company went from zero to a billion dollars in three years. It was like the fastest company to a billion dollars at the time. And during that time, we made money. We were, we were providing for our first year of marriage off of this company. And then all of a sudden the company tanked. I mean, tanked, 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 tanked. And with it, we tanked. And I had no clue what to do. I had never sold my own products before. I had never created my own brand before. I stuck behind great products that had a great logo, a great company, great all, all these things. And I believed in the product and I sold it. But when we sell our own products, we can see all the problems. We can see all the incongruencies. We could see that the website isn't perfect and the pixels not installed correctly. So ultimately I asked myself, I said, what, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, well, my wife and I are together. We probably should work together because that would make sense to be able to build a business. What am I good at? What do I like to do? And what have I actually accomplished? I didn't know nowadays, as you know, in BDB, I bring in all these experts. I didn't know you could do that. I thought you had to be an expert or else you were one of these fake gurus. I'm like, well, I lost 60 pounds and now I'm shredded and I look great and I feel great. Let's do that. And that's where we went in this journey of trying to help people lose weight. And man, we failed for years. I mean, we failed by ourselves. My wife interned underneath a health coach for nine months for free. And anything she sold after that, she had to give 50% of it to the health coach that allowed her to work for her for free what? just to learn how she was making six figures online as a health and fitness coach. I'm like, during this time, I'm cleaning carpets for my dad. I failed network marketing. I'm working for my dad running his business for two years. And I'm like, man, I, I want to build a business online. I want to monetize my expertise. And ultimately came down to a conversation with Gary Vaynerchuk where he was just basically told me, you need to either do it or not do it. And I was like, well, this is the simplest advice I've ever heard. Like, I'm going to do it. And my wife and I, we invested $5,000 into our very first mastermind, which was basically a community of people that met together, shared their ideas, helped up level together. And 
I was afraid, man. I showed up. I was the worst person in the room, smallest business, doing like $2,000 a month, maybe on average, making no profit whatsoever. And this three years running, we never made any profit. And so it finally I got to tell the story of how you sat out in your car for four hours because you didn't want to pay $30 because that's a real life story. That's something that I can totally, totally relate to. Please tell the story. Cause you know, I think that is, is going to touch some people's heart and be like, you know what? I've been there. Yeah, for sure. Um, this was right around that same time. So I became an entrepreneur when I was way younger for my father. Yeah. At 20 was the first time I built the first business and 21, 22. That's when we launched our first business. And right around this time is like when we were failing, right? I had, I had flown to the events. I had invested tens of thousands of dollars of my own money right back into self-education and I flopped. And so I just started feeling like I need to guard myself. I was, I mean, I literally worked on the road two and a half years cleaning carpets and I only ate Chipotle out twice. And it was because I had a later job that got booked on. I literally did not eat out. I saved every dime. And I was always good at this growing up. Yet uh, there, people have said this before. You can't save your way to prosperity. You can't save your way to abundance. And so I remember getting this point where I'm like, I'm going to these events. I'm going to networking events. I'm trying to meet people. And I'm driving a carpet cleaning van. I'm parking a mile down the road. I'm changing in the back of it. I'm smelling like exhaust. I'm spraying freaking cologne on myself so I don't smell bad. I can't afford a haircut. I'm in $25 a, month, a week eating out budget between two people, $12.50. And you can hardly go to Starbucks for $12.50 nowadays. Yeah, we have, we have like a $75 a week grocery budget, which was split between two. So about $37.50 to buy groceries. Right, we're talking like that's three pounds of meat. There's people that eat two pounds of meat a day. So I'm sitting there and I'm like guarding myself. My wife goes, hey, there's this event. It's so amazing. They gave us a free ticket. We should show up and go. So I drive all the way down to this place and we show up at this hotel and I show up and I'm going to, I'll self park. Well, there's no parking all around. They go, yeah, self parking's 30 bucks. And I sat there and I was like, oh, you son of a gun. I'm like, I got this. I know exactly what to do. It's like, honey, you go in there. You enjoy the event. I'll be out here. I'm not allowing them to take my 30 bucks. And I thought at the time that I won. I was like, well, this is perfect. I just saved $30. That's our entire eating out budget for the entire week. Like I just saved that, which means I have more money, which means I'm winning. And they're not winning. I thought transfer money means they're winning. I'm losing. So I sat out there for four hours minimum, dude. And I've done this like, we're talking dozens of times. This is just one of the stories. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go to a cafe, order a coffee. Nope, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve to work in that place. You don't even deserve to get that coffee. I sat there on that curve for four hours till my wife got done. And my mindset at the time was that I was winning with the 30 bucks, thinking that it was more valuable than the education, the people, the connections, the experience that I could have had behind those doors. And that's where I was going wrong, man. So I thought so, that the, me keeping the money was me winning and, and them losing. Me paying them was them winning, me losing. And what was on the other side of those doors was not worth 30 bucks. So tell me what your, I mean, because, and obviously we're going to talk about this later, but what was your come to Jesus moment that you were like, all right, enough of this crap. I'm done. Um, there's got to be a better way. Yeah, there's, I wish I had just one of them. Um, but the main one that comes to mind is I'm cleaning carpets. At this point, I'm living, I got this two bedroom place, moved out of the one bedroom apartment. I, it was such a strenuous, it was so crazy. I was like freaking out. My rent was going up by $500 a month. But I was like, this is going to be so amazing for my wife. So we're living in this little back of a different person's property, two bedroom house. So it was a split lot, little tiny home in the back. Basically, this old guy was wanting to renovate his parents' old home. So he used to live in this little house in the back as he renovated it. So I'm living there, and there's this little piece of grass out front where I would secretly dump my van after I got done working. Grass grew like crazy. It was amazing. So I sucked all the dirt and grime out of everyone's carpet, dump it in my grass. My grass grew like no other. Probably the best fertilizer. Probably wouldn't grow food, though. Uh, at least I wouldn't in that. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking... I've been doing this for two damn years. Two years, I've been trying to do this all again on my own. I don't know anyone in San Diego. I don't have any connections. 
you're the five people you surround yourself with. I'm an anchor to everyone. No pun intended, since that's what we're on. I'm an anchor. I'm the one who's sitting here. And if anyone's friends with me, I'm the guy who's bringing down the average. Everyone's going to suck because of me. Right? I flipped the five people you surround yourself with on my own self. And I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, man, what a, what is it going to take? And at the time, I realized that I was hoping that my wife was cute. My wife was talented. I was hoping that a video that we did would go viral. I was hoping that a product would just catch fire and that people would just start buying it. And I'm sitting there dumping my van. And I had a few things go through my head. Number one, the first quote was, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. What would it look like to take responsibility for my situation and actually take the power back into my hands to change my situation? Because at this point, I was like, man, I really want to make money. I really want the business to grow. Why isn't it working? And people think that if they decrease their responsibilities, aka retirement, for instance, if I retire, I have less responsibilities, which means I'll finally be able to enjoy life. It's actually proven that you actually decrease stress, anxiety, et cetera, by actually taking on responsibilities, not by decreasing them, which is very interesting. That's why the average person dies very soon after they retire. They have nothing to live for. They have no responsibilities. And so with that, I sat there. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. The second one was I thought about all the superhero movies. And they always say that with great power comes great responsibility. And it's totally true in a lot of ways. With great power does come great responsibility. When you have a billion dollars, there's a lot of responsibility. When you have leadership, you have lots of responsibility. And But ultimately, it's still a quote from a superhero movie, which is not true. Like kryptonite isn't going to affect you. Kryptonite doesn't even exist. And I sat there and I was like, what's the truth in this? And really, at the end of the day, when I look back with great responsibility – comes great power. When you take great responsibility, that's where your power is. Because what happens is then when I was forfeiting my responsibility, when I just kind of was like, maybe my wife will do it. Maybe she's so cute. Why don't they buy maybe a video go viral? Maybe something will happen for us where something will just kind of just miraculously happen. I was hoping that something outside of myself in my responsibility of co-laboring, that something would do it for me which means I had massive anxiety because I was hoping that something outside of myself would change my situation. I was giving the power off to other people. And when I took responsibility again, I started realizing my power was coming back because I wasn't expecting someone else to do something for me without me even being able to communicate it or control it. And I left there and I went inside and for an entire year, and I still do this today, uh, which is called our BDB rituals. I've made it more congruent and actually formatted. I started writing down what would it look like if I took responsibility for the results I want in my life and what are the things that I could do every day to be able to get there. At the time, I wanted to make $100,000. Now, I made $19,000 the year before that and $21,000 the next year. So that was a huge 5x growth for me if I made $100,000. I broke it down like $285 a day and I wrote down what am I going to do today to make $285 a day? And at the time, I didn't have all the businesses and all this stuff. I just thought, I'll do whatever. So I wrote down $285 a day. What can I do to be able to get there? I wrote down all my to-dos. I starred the ones that I got done. I tracked them every single day. And I told myself I'd work till 10 p.m. I wasn't going to work and sacrifice sleep and all that stuff. But I didn't make $285. I worked till 10. And then the rest of the night, go to bed, wake up, try it again the next day. And at the end of that year, I made $101,000. I sold things on Craigslist like crazy, man. I made $67,000 in my coaching business that year. And the rest of it was filled up with, I mean, I installed carpets. I cleaned carpets on the side for anyone who wanted to do it. I was like, man, people would say, can you fit another job in today? I'd be like, man, $285. Like I haven't hit it yet. People would say, hey, can I buy that filing cabinet for you? And they would say, can you deliver it? I'd say for 25 bucks and 10 o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night, I'd throw that filing cabinet in for 25 extra bucks. I'd drive down there. And inside of that, I started seeing that business, the coaching business, was the thing that produced the most. And what what would it look like to actually focus on something that was showing that it was working? And inside of that first mastermind, man, I, 2,000 bucks a month. And, and I realized that after that mastermind, people believed in me. I saw systems that worked. I saw frameworks that worked. I got advice from people. I left there with a new confidence. I sold over 20 grand that month and I thought it would have, was a fluke. I thought, 
what if I quit cleaning carpets and I have to go back and ask my dad for a job because I sold 20K one time, but all of a sudden now, what's going to happen five months from now or a year from now? But I knew it was time. I called my dad. He gave me a week off for my anniversary, May 26th of 2016. And I told my dad, dad, I made, I got to go all in on my business. And he was sad. Two and a half years, I'd been running that company, really. He had just come back after injury. And I went off and never have had a not profitable month since then. It was insane. Uh, not all of them were good, uh, but all of them were profitable. We're making 8K, 10K uh, a month inside of our coaching business. And when I launched the Brotherhood, we did $200,000 in one weekend and have you know scaled past those $100,000 months since then, transforming the lives of other businessmen that were just like me, going through similar things and different things from the weight loss at first to seeing that we can't outsource our relationships. We can't outsource our health. We can't outsource our vision we have for our business. And what have, what we've been shown as businessmen is that we focus on the things we're good at and outsource all the things that we're not. And so you see guys never becoming great at relationships. They always, there's that relationship guy. Oh, that's your thing. They never become great at health. They go, oh, that's the health guys thing. You know, I just kind of like, I monitor my alcohol intake. And then they just focus on making money because they believe if I make more money, everything will be better and easier. And then there's quotes out there that say things like people spend the first half of their life sacrificing their health to gain wealth and the second half of their life sacrificing their wealth to gain health back again, literally willing to spend all their money to live just one more year. And I just thought this, there's something to this. After coaching 600 men one-on-one, -on -one, I decided I was going to optimize the businessman, the man in the business, not just the business around the man and optimize them in three areas that they can't outsource. No one's going to have sex with their wife with, for them. No one's going to spood feed them and no one's going to build their business for them. And if not, we should probably become good at that, good at those things. And that's where we launched the brotherhood. And like I said, it's been a, it's not been an easy growth since then. There's a lot of businesses I've built that have been a lot easier to sell and are actually sellable companies. Yet this is the thing that's most impactful. I mean, I have a guy I just coached today that, for years, he never invested with us. He saved up over 10 grand, invested with us. He's working at a, a supermarket making you know 30K a year and wanted to counsel people. And he wanted to help people. And he was counseling people for 50 bucks and 100 bucks here and there. Not building business, invested with us. He's now making $6,000 packages. He just sold three within this first year, uh, first part of the year in three months. Already uh, double the money that he makes inside of his current work. And so he had a passion that was helping people and we we're able to optimize him and optimize the business so that he could stop working at just the convenience store, which is great. That's what you want to do. But he didn't, our guys didn't. And now he's actually has a business framework around a passion and a, and a skill set that he has that allows him to go out there and provide for his family while making an impact in the things that he does. And that's what we do today. You know, and I love that. And, you know, I love that, you know, you've been on some of the bigger stages with some of the, you know, the biggest people in the self-improvement and self-development areas. Um, but, and I think when you have per people like yourself and the people that you've had on this stage is that you're actually investing in each other. It's not, you know, like a lot of times when you'll see all these different speakers and everybody thinks they're trying to compete with each other. No, but it seems like you guys actually have a synergy. So can you talk about some of the people that you've actually spoke with? And had on this, you've been on their stages, they've been on your stages and in the group. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've been on the same stages as, I mean, me and Brandon Burchard spoke at an event together, Dean Graciosi, Russell Brunson. Um, it's pretty amazing, actually, the people that uh, I've had Alex Charfin on my stages. I've had um, Dr. Robert Glover, who wrote No More Mr. Nice Guy. He's come out to our private events. He attends our events. He, att he attended our second year live event. Uh, we're talking Jay Abraham, mentor of Tony Robbins, Lewis Howells, one of the biggest podcasts in the world. We've shared the same stage together and, and just a ridiculous amount in between that as well. Um, and uh, Dan Locke, I mean, if you could think of a name in the personal development world, we've we've probably done stuff with them or been on the same stage, and which is wild because I couldn't even speak on video 2016. I couldn't even finish a three-minute video. So to get up on stage with these people, I'm like, I was just cleaning carpets in a one-bedroom apartment not even a decade ago. And now I'm speaking on stage in front of 5,000 people, 2,000 people, 200 people. 
groups of people following us around every day. Can't even leave the hotel room when I go to these events and we speak because we have people just bombarding about how impacted they were. And I'm like, I'm saying the same stuff I was saying back then. Just people are listening now. It's wild. And yeah, altogether, I think that the best people in the world are always collaborative focused. The worst thing, one of my mentors, Russell Brunson, said the number one thing that he's seen people that come and go. They have lots of talent. They have lots of animosity. They have lots of excitement. The thing that makes them come and go generally, the worst thing they do is they burn bridges. They're all about themselves and they burn bridges really, really quick. And there's a lot of people out there that do this, especially high D personality, A type personality men. Their number one fear is being taken advantage of. Any sign of that, they usually get triggered and they totally break relationships. So out of all those people, like, yeah, I've never, I mean, I just don't surround myself with those fakes and those people that are all about themselves. I've always invested and been a part of different events where people are all collaborative focused from my own events. All my speakers come out, um, all my speakers come out on their own for free. I pay for all their stuff. Um, but generally I don't pay for any of my speakers They're all people I've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars of my time and money into investing in the relationship to bring them out. Like Jay Abraham didn't pay for him to speak. I, again, I covered all his expenses. I paid for his drivers. I paid for his food, his massages, whatever. Yet they all come out because they're invested in our community. They all come out because they're invested in the guys. I don't want the Tony Robbins to come out and say, uh, Hey, uh, ladies, where are the ladies at? You know, not being even congruent with knowing what even the heck is going on in our community. They all know. And everywhere I've gone, I've just been able to speak with these amazing people that have always invested in stuff like that. So if you, you know, maybe any in-depth questions you have on that stuff for sure. Um, but inside of our community, man, again, it's simply just that we take these men that want to prosper in health, wealth and relationships. And we built the number one structure around brotherhood that most people get in a sport that they have or the military. Um, but we built it around business. A lot of military members get out and they go, well, I want to build a business, but my yep. other guys, like they're just proud to be a Marine, which is great. They saw the identity of being a Navy SEAL and Marine Navy and all these different things. And they're like, this is amazing. I got that camaraderie and I'm missing that in the business world. And those are great friends of mine, but they're not building businesses. And I want to be around that energy and that thing that pushes me like you would in fitness or like you would in a sport. And we built that for the businessman and being very strict around that. And we did it through virtual events. Like I have my virtual event coming up that's a um, a workshop that's roadmapped to six figures. It's like, hey, it took me a long time. I told you in this interview, it took me a long time to hit that six figure mark. If I could go back and consult myself and lay a framework, like this is what I would build. If you guys, maybe you're struggling to do the same thing, here's the framework. And we've done it with all of our guys. And I personally done it over and over and over again in four different industries with four different businesses. So uh, we have events like that. We have our annual events like BDB Live where we come together in person and bring in amazing speakers and I pay for all the food and we connect as a brotherhood all the way to our virtual stuff like our uh, Brotherhood Club, which is a virtual mastermind for businessmen to our in-person mastermind for businessmen where I rent out properties. My next one's in Florida, two properties, there are two pl houses on the same property on the beach, Destin, Florida, three stories. I mean, we got elevators in the places everyone stays on property fly-in speakers and everyone leaves transformed and those are the things that we do is we focus on the brotherhood we focus on the man in the business and we reap the fruit of that and that's been our focus and will continue to be so talk about your podcast talk about the name of your podcast and how you know because everybody in the world has a podcast but it seems like there's certain ones that are making differences in this world and yours is one of them. So please talk about your podcast a little bit. I appreciate it, man. We started, we launched in 2016. If you know, John Lee Dumas, he yep. runs entrepreneur on fire. So he was a great friend of ours. One of the first people to take us under his wing when we were failing in business, but we, my wife had a dream. She wakes up in the from this dream and we didn't want to start a podcast because John Lee Dumas was our friend and we didn't want to copy him. To be honest, we were like, Oh man, I bet everyone who hangs out with him wants to start a podcast. So we're not going to do that. My wife has a dream. She wakes up and goes, Hey honey, like I just had a dream that we had a podcast and I think that we should probably do it. And we've done this a lot. Like we've done this with a lot of things in our life, moving to Austin, whatever. And so we go, all right, let's do it. So we bought podcast paradise. I invested in his course, even though we were friends, cause I wanted like the actual access, 
launched podcast 2016. And I'm like, what the heck? We became number one. I mean, we passed the Eric Warres and I think Tony Robbins even launched his podcast at the same time. And like we we outranked everyone. Like it was the weirdest thing ever. It was our first like thing that actually hit it. And ultimately over the time, like creating the the Billion Dollar Brotherhood podcast and how it morphed into that is my goal was always to go and interview people that could optimize the businessman again. It's like so many, every single audience is always talking to men and women. And most of the time they're trying to, to make sure that women are included in what's going on, which rightfully so. Like women are amazing. I think they're a lot smarter than men in a lot of ways. That's why they already get this health, wealth, relationships and balance and stuff like that. And I'm trying to get the guys to all catch up. And I was like, what if I create it for the businessman? We don't have to sit there and be like, well, if you're, if you're a woman, you go through this, you go, well, man, you go through this. I'm like, no, how do we as a businessman do this life? We're not clocking in, clocking out with our normal job. We're not sitting there uh, sedated, living in ignorance is bliss. We're not take, getting off on Friday and, and loving our life until Sunday night where we go back to the job that we think we can't get out of. We're not living as a victim. How do we actually optimize this life? So I started hosting these interviews and now actually launching it on on YouTube, a new endeavor that we've done with my YouTube channel, Nicholas Barely, having the interviews on there. I also do a training every single week where I pull out a topic and I actually train on it. I do Q&A. So people listening here, ask me a specific question. You get featured on the show. I've had almost a million downloads, like been a phenomenal process. And on top of that, uh, we have it on iTunes, Spotify, and all these things. So people like listening on audio version on iTunes, The Billion Dollar Brotherhood. I have all my interviews, all my trainings, et cetera, up there, which we launch every single week. We do three every single week. And it's been our place and our way to be able to give back and realizing that like to our one-on-one coaching is over $150,000 a year. Our PDB Elite is $20,000 a year. And again, each we're not selling people that can't aren't running a business. These are people that are getting an ROI. We have our brother club, $2,000 a year. We have our events. And then we have all this free stuff that we put out my book. I just said, I'll give it to you guys for free. Why? Cause I'm running a business. My business produces money so I can invest back. And I take all the best stuff that I can learn. All the people that I'm learning from the 300 plus interviews, the millionaire mentors, the Navy seals, the professional athletes, the Olympic athletes. And I'm saying, Hey, I'm going to invest 30 something thousand dollars into my studio. I'm going to invest time and energy and money to get these people on the show so that you can have it for free and you can find it at the billion dollar brotherhood podcast and you can check it out at Nicholas Barely on YouTube. I love that brother. Now it's something I, I have to ask because um, you know, just like I said, I've known you for a while and I, and I really appreciate our friendship, but talk to us about your faith because I think one thing I wanted to say before I even forget is I want to thank you for being a brother in Christ most of all. So uh, please talk to us a little bit about your faith. I know it's something you probably don't get asked about a lot, but for me, it's very important. Yeah. uh, Every once in a while, it's always a fun conversation. So I got asked when I was maybe in second, third, fourth grade, it had been before third. They said, are you Christian or Catholic? And I was like, well, which one drinks a lot? Like which one allows you to drink and smoke? Cause like my family drinks and smokes a ton. And they were like, I think Catholics. And I was like, I'm Catholic then. So I started telling everyone from then on out, I was like, I think we're Catholic. I'm not sure. And those were like the only two options where I was growing up, right? I was like, are you Christian or Catholic? Like they didn't really say like, are you Muslim or atheist or Buddhist or whatever, Hindu or all these different things. So my only taste of anything church or faith or anything like that was my stepmom who went to church always. My dad didn't. My mom didn't. No one else in my family did. But she went and generally what would happen and my dad would sleep in on the weekends and he wouldn't go to church. So I thought, oh, this is great. Women go to church. and That's like their thing while the guys stay home because I looked up to my dad. So I just would be like, yeah, I'm staying home with my dad. And, you know, every once in a while they'd convince me to like go to a Sunday school or whatever. But most of the time they'd go to church and I would go skateboard. I'd go do something else. And it was just never my thing. I never knew about it. I remember fourth grade. I'm walking down the street. Someone gave me a Bible with a skateboarder on it. I was like, this is sick. Like a Bible, like they told me all about it. I was like, this is awesome. I go home. I go, mom, check this out. I'm going to read the Bible. And she was like, oh, like it's so complicated. Like you go, you, you don't even read it front to back like a normal book. You read like jump from chapter to chapter to understand it. And I was like, man, that does sound hard. And I just like put it down. I was like, I don't, I don't get it. 
doesn't make any sense to me. So I put down this book in four years, fourth grade. So finally, I get to this point where I lose the weight. I'm 17 years old, going on 18. And I'm just like, what, what am I doing? I'm surfing every day. I'm shredded. I got a six pack. I'm tan as can be. I tried going to some of the parties in high school, talking to the girls. And I'm like, what, what am I doing? Like, what's the point of all this? Like, there has to be something bigger. This is right around the trend, you know, this about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when all the paranormal movies were coming out. Like, this was like probably the height of it where, you know, people are ghost hunting and all these different things. Every single day on TV when you come home is like, Ghostbusters, ghost hunting, picking up frequencies, people falling on the ground from these ghosts and whatever. So I'm watching all this and I'm like, all right, I need to figure out there's something bigger out there. So I go out and I'm like, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, well, I'll go get a Ouija board. Like I'll get Ouija boards and do all this stuff. So I get all these Ouija boards and stuff and I'm thinking like it's daytime. There can't be anything going on at daytime because it's not scary enough. So I'm like seven months. I'm doing Ouija boards. I'm doing all this different stuff. I'm staying up Friday to Sunday trying to figure this out. Where are the spirits? I was to good spirits come, bad spirits come. I didn't even care. I was like, whatever ones are strong and cool, like I want to make that happen. So one day I'm feeling down. Like I'm like, man, what's life all about? What is this stuff? And I remember there was one guy that totally like influenced me. Like he was someone that was a total ass that just turned into the nicest dude overnight. Like he just seemed different. I just remember even he stopped cussing as much. And and I don't even mind cussing. Like I I truly believe that like uh that what what you actually believe you're saying in your heart of you say, I love you and you actually are like F you. Like I think you have a bigger problem than the guy that says F that and he's joking around. That that but again I'm not a, a pastor either. So but ultimately I saw like he used to cuss and be this jerk. And now he's like trying not to. So I'm like trying to get him to cuss. Right. And I'm like, what's wrong with this kid? So anyway, uh, when I was feeling down, think about the influence of this. I, I lost weight because a kid pulled out fruit. I uh, got impacted because a guy just was different. So when I was feeling down, I was like, who should I call? I was like, Oh, I'll call that kid. He had like something about him that was pretty awesome. So I call him and he goes, Hey Nicholas, like I can't hang out right now. Cause I'm going to a small group. And I was like, I know he plays the drums. So maybe it's like a band or something. I'd never been to church. I was like, no, it's cool. Like I'm on my way to this, this Boba tea shop. Um, to where are you going? And he goes, yeah, that's where I'm going. That's where the small group is. And I was like, Oh, I'll just meet you there then. He's like, nah, dude. Like I was known as like the demon kid at this point. Right. I'm like doing Ouija boards and like trying to summon spirits. I'm like, what is there out there? That's bigger than us. I'm like, nah, dude, I'll see you there in a minute. So I drive all the way there and I'm like, this has nothing to do with drums, dude. It's like four kids that are all like trying to figure out how they can grow their relationship with God. So I'm sitting there and they're talking about all these stories and miracles and stuff. And I'm like, they're thinking I'm scared, right? Because they're, th they're talking about miracles. I'm talking like delivered of Down syndrome and healings and miracles, et cetera. And, and they're like, I'm so sorry if this is scaring you. And I was like, nah, dude, like. I'm like talking to demons and crap like that. Like this doesn't scare me. They're like, oh my god! Like they're freaking out, right? Because they're the the good the good Christian kids, um, you know, going to their Baptist church. Even what they were doing, talking about a miracle, like was not even allowed at the church that they were at. So they go, hey, I was like, hey, I gotta go. Thank you guys so much. They're like, hey, do you want a Bible? And I was like, heck yeah, dude! Like that'd be awesome. And they're like, cool. Come back next week. I'm like, I didn't know that Bibles were free, like in every hotel and on every street corner. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll wait till next week. So the whole week, I'm telling everyone, I'm like acting different. I'm serving people differently. It was so weird. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, dude, uh, I feel different, but like, I'm so excited to read this Bible book. So I'm telling everyone at school, I'm like, hey guys, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read it front to back. I'm going to just figure it out. People read this book over and over again, highlight it, all this crap. What is there? Like no one does that with any other book. Why do they do it with this? So I'm so excited. And all of a sudden I come back the next Wednesday and they're like, hey, here's a Bible, but like, do you want to get to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and all the, the gist, right? And I'm like, uh, hello. Like, hell yeah. I'm like, this is sick. Like, what do you mean? Why have you been waiting this whole week? Because they're not used to this, right? They're used to like convincing people and trying to get people to take a Bible and all this stuff. I was like, dude, I'm freaking pumped. Like, I didn't know that I could have got this Bible weeks ago. So I'm like opening up and stuff. And I feel totally different. I go home and my parents see that I'm different and everything. I'm like, I accepted Jesus, my Lord and Savior. This is so amazing. And like, I felt like a completely different person. Like my whole life changed. Everything changed. I went on like 15 different countries. I became a completely different person. I started hanging out with completely different people. My vision completely changed. My eye color changed. 
and my name changed. I went from Nick, who I talked about earlier, to Nicholas. I didn't know why. Never want to be called Nicholas. If you look up Nick, it means victory. My whole life, people are like, victory, 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 trying to give me victory. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I want to be called Nicholas. You look up Nicholas, Nicholas means victory of the people. And it was like my whole life, I was getting told victory, victory, victory. And then all of a sudden, I want to do, I was like, I want to be Nicholas. And now everyone, when they say that, like they're saying, hey, like victory of the people, like you're the one that's helping others now because you were helped, just took 18 years to be able to get there. And my wife and I went to, man, 14, 15 different countries, served the poor. That's why we that's why we started our business and and realized that we're still serving the poor that just have money. Like that was the biggest difference. And uh, and that's been our, our heart and, and still even partnering with our church here today and, and uh, is definitely something that drives our entire business, our family, and it's our secret sauce, I would say. And now, like, we don't work with Christians exclusively. We live a life that people go, how can I be like that? How can I do that? How can I live like you guys do? How can I handle conflict the way that you guys do? And we build trust with people. And they say, how do you do that? We say, oh, yeah, this is how we do it. Like, wow, I trust you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this because I trust you. You're not just telling me to do something. You're living it, and I, I have a desire for it as well. I love that. Now, about, I guess about over a year and a half ago, I remember the day you posted the first picture of of you and your, your beautiful baby. And that was one of the most heart-touching things because I know when I first had my daughter nine nine and a half years ago, it was the greatest blessing. But it was also I was very scared because I I didn't have a father and I didn't know how to be a father. So talk to us about the moment when your your child was born and you were a daddy and you, and now you're in charge of, you know, bringing up a beautiful family. So what was that like? That's a great question. Uh, it was interesting. I, mean, I know my podcast is a little bit different because I just love to get, you know, get to know the people because some people, they'll hear about the business stuff but they want to know the important stuff like, the, you know, like eternity and, and parenting and stuff like that. Cause that's the good stuff. Yeah. I would say it's, I would say that's it's not talked about did. enough. Cause I, I didn't know there's a lot of things that I knew. I never really had a thought of like, I didn't have a fear of being a dad. I didn't think I was going to be a bad dad. I didn't really have a preconceived idea of like, like bad things that I was going to do. I, I, my bad thing is I'd rather spend time with my son than doing other things. So uh, and my wife as well. And so uh, I don't have that, like, I want to just go work and like not be around my family because that's what I need to do type thing. So I, I was super proud of my wife. First off is like the most proud I've ever been of anyone in my entire life. That was insane. Watching her give birth naturally, uh, with my son's umbilical cord was wrapped around under his armpits and X across his chest and around his neck. So every time she'd push, she'd kind of go sideways. So it was like super hard. And so that was intense watching that. And then, you know, I took care of my wife for like two weeks afterwards as well as my son because my wife couldn't do anything. And it was like the coolest bonding experience ever. And just every day gets better because I get to know him better and he can do more things. Like he just started saying hi. So now every, every day, you know, we're sitting there going, hi, hi, hi. But dad, dad's like, dad, 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 dad. And hi is like, hi, like super high pitch for him. It's so funny to see him discover his voice and, it's just something that's not talked about. Like when I, and it re makes me realize how dumb I was and how dumb fathers were that kind of listened to me is that fathers know fathers and not fathers don't know fathers. And for me, like I was just, when it was just me and my wife, like I had all day to work and build a business and do whatever. I could try a million things a day. And now it's like, what matters? Like there's a whole new being that requires all your attention to stay alive basically at first. And you really fig figure out like, man, like how do I build this business? How do I build my life where I can excel in these other areas? And it's not just about me anymore. So it's been an interesting process because you, you get shown that, Oh, you take six weeks off. Mom takes six weeks off, goes back to work, whatever. So I'm thinking, all right, after six weeks, it should be easier than right. Six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 50 weeks. Like, it's all, it was all the same. It never like changed. It was like, all right, it's full out. It's full out. It's full out. I'm like, isn't it like people go back to work now? Like, where's the people that tell you how that is right? There's only the complaining parents that say, 
oh, my kid's a little demon child. My wife hates this type of talk. Demon child kid. And, you know, my wife hates abortion so much. There was a company, I haven't shared this ever before, but I look at my email today and there's people that always are requesting me on our podcast. And, and this company is like giving money to this organization that my wife says is worse than Planned Parenthood to her. She's like, it's even worse. And I, I look at the replies because I didn't get to look at it or reply to it yet. And, and my wife goes, sorry, we do not support and will never give a platform to anyone who supports the murdering of innocent babies in email. My wife writes this and I'm like, oh my gosh, honey. Like, she's like, no, like this is wrong. And so it's just a, it's been an awesome experience to, to be able to experience life, to be able to experience what it's like to be a father, to be able to get empathy and a perspective for the other dads out there. And also, Build that into how we're helping these men build businesses and optimizing their life. Because before I didn't have that perspective. I'm like, I had all the time in the world to work. And I'm like, what's wrong with you guys? Like, go out there and freaking get it done. And they're like, spending time with their kids and all this stuff. And I thought, great, but like, you need to build. And I'm like, oh, I totally understand it now. There's things that are more important than just building. How do we do this correctly? No, I love that. All right. And like, sorry, I know I took up a lot of your time today. But last two questions. Um, how do we find you? I mean, you said some of the things, but how can we find you if we want to support your mission? If we're uh, sometimes there might be some guys that are here 21, 22 years old and they're just becoming men. So how can they um, join our group and stuff like that? hundred percent. And and we welcome men of all ages. If you vibe with the message and are growth oriented, I don't care if you're 99, 150, doesn't matter. My father-in-law invests in our community and he's 60. We have guys that are way past 60s, 70s. We had 72. <laughs> Jay Abraham wishes he was a part of the community. He said if he would have had this growing when he was younger, it would have saved him a lot of divorces and a lot of money. Uh, but ultimately, connect to me on social platforms, Nicholas Barely. Our Facebook group, if you are a businessman, is the Billion Dollar Brotherhood, the Billion Dollar Brotherhood. Just type it into Facebook, request to join. Make sure that you fill out the questions and you'll get access. You'll be able to get the free book that way. And if you're like, man, I like this guy, but I don't want to connect with him on any social platforms, type in Modern Day Businessman on Amazon, grab a book or Audible if you like audio, and just go through it. And then it'll convince you to be a part of the community, and I'll see you then. Okay, last question I ask everybody, and because I ask 100 people, and I get 100 different answers. Uh, we're living in, as is theirs, uh, we're still in the COVID and we got parents that are homeschooling kids, grandparents homeschooling kids. Some parents are working two jobs just to try to put food on the table. So if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're pretty much not going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if somebody is struggling in their business, what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to right the ship? So I just did this with with one of the clients that was trying to transfer out of that can, that store job into his coaching business. And one of the biggest things that we did is I go, well, logically, and people could write down this few questions. Logically, how much money do you need to make to be able to, to replace the income of the current job? So we write that down. Maybe that's 3000 5000 10000 whatever it is. But we have to take into account business expenses. So we put that in there, added a little bit of extra. I go, cool. Based on... Uh, currently right now, how many clients would you have to get in a year to be able to replace that income? So we write it down, it came out to about 12. All right, 12 clients, one a month. That's pretty simple. Break it down monthly, weekly, daily. Then what we do is we actually chunk it down into actionable steps from there. And what it allows you to do is to go deeper with your business rather than shallow. A lot of people think they're all in anxiety because they don't know how many people they have to connect with and they don't know how many people they have to, how many sales they need to make. So they're always freaking out thinking they're not ever doing enough. When I said, do you think with, you can get one client a month and this, the next phase currently, if you, let's say you have a job or, or doing other things, I asked my wife this back in the day, I say, if you had 80 hours a week or 80 hours a month, sorry, 80 hours a month extra to work on the business, could you produce more than? I think she was making a thousand bucks a month. And I was like, cause if not, we need to quit the business. And she was like, yeah, if I worked 80 hours a month, there's no way I couldn't produce a thousand. And I was like, then why are you working that job? Cause it just didn't make any sense anymore. And so ultimately it got us to simplify what it looked like to win. What do we need based on the small goals that we have in front of us? What would it take to get there through actually getting clients? Like what's your average, average client spend? 
How many clients what we need? That becomes your critical number, the number one number that you track in your business. You write it on a whiteboard. So he already has three for this year. So he's at nine more. That's all he needs. Nine people for the rest of the year. So he has 12, 11, 10, all crossed off. And now he's on nine. And he goes, all right. Well, and then what type of time do I have? And if I were to take one day off of my job, could I produce an extra 150 bucks or whatever it is? And that's how you know the transition time. But if not, it's like you look at the time that you do have and you go, wow. I really only need one client a month or whatever that is for you. That means I really only need to have 10 great conversations with the people that are most interested in what I'm doing. And if I had a 10% of close ratio or 10% of people actually want to work with me, I get one out of 10, which isn't even that good. And all of a sudden I'm financially independent from all these other sources. So figure out those couple things, and that way that's, that you can actually put a number behind it, so you can actually know when you're successful. Like I need to, I know I need to get this many clients, and I know that to get one client, I have to do this. So I'm going to focus on doing the task now rather than focusing on this uh, overwhelming thing called just doing business. I love that. Hey guys, if you if you enjoyed this, please leave a comment on Apple so they know that we're doing what we say we're going to do. Definitely check out the BDB group. It's probably in the top three Facebook groups in the world, in my opinion. Check out his book. It truly is a life changer. It changed my life. Uh, Nicholas, I just want to say thank you, brother. Thank you for coming on and hanging on. Uh, thank your wife for me. Just say thank you for you know allowing the time to spend with us. And I love you, brother. Thank you, man. Thanks so much again. Well, God bless you and God bless the family. And I can't wait to see what you got coming up next. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Hi, right, brother. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.